What's up, and welcome to episode 11 of Kings and Priests, where we are talking weekly about the intersection of faith, business, and entrepreneurship. My name is Michael, and most weeks I'm here with Dean, but today I talk with Jerry Meek. Jerry is a legendary luxury home builder, leader, and author, and the carpenter business he started with his dad as a young man is now Desert Star Construction the iconic building company that grew to over $170 million of work in progress. Beyond construction, Jerry has a deep desire to help overwhelmed Christian business leaders rediscover their eternal purpose and find joy in their life and leadership. He leverages his personal and professional hardship and real-world experiences to bring fresh perspective to leading people and organizations as he serves as a wise mentor to today's Christian marketplace and ministry leaders alike. In addition to serving as founder and CEO of Desert Star Construction, Jerry pours out his wisdom into resources and mentoring through Glorious Reflections, the online community that helps overwhelmed Christian business leaders rediscover their eternal purpose and find unending joy. For more info on Jerry, make sure and check out his website at jerryrmeek.com. We have linked to that in the show notes. Jerry is a phenomenal storyteller. I just loved talking with him. I learned so much. He had such great wisdom. He may have called me out for playing a little bit too much golf. It was honestly such a great conversation. It was honestly such a great conversation with Jerry. He is a phenomenal storyteller. He has uh, so much wisdom. And he may have called me out for playing a little bit too much golf, um, but we're going to forgive him for that. Hey, we're going to go to this conversation with Jerry Meek, and we'll see you right back here next week on Kings and Priests. Well, I'm here with Jerry Meek. Jerry, thanks for being on Kings and Priests. My honor to be here, Michael. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. And you are in Phoenix, Arizona. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, our office is in Scottsdale, and I actually live in Cave Creek, okay. a little bit north. Oh, amazing. Is it, uh, is it warm, warm there, or what's the... It's, oh, today it'll be in the 70s, the uh, opens plan, and it's great weather. So, yeah, it's a great place to be. Um, the thing about Cave Creek, though, is if you're out by your fire, if you're reading in the morning... The occasional bobcat walks by. Ah, it's yes. It's a good wake up call. So <laughs> we're in nature. Got it. Yeah. Um, and you were born and raised in in Arizona, is that right? I was actually born in Chicago, Illinois, and I don't remember it because at two years of age, we went to Northern California, the San Jose area. And when did you move to Arizona? Ooh, we came here in 1972. So I, I'm kind of a native. Okay. I want to get to the business that you now currently run uh, in a, a second, but you, you had a dad that was in the construction and, construction industry. Yeah, could, and now I've worked with my dad, and now our son is just as of January 1st was named president of our company. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah, so we're three generations, That's which is really cool. That's so cool. How old is he? He's 35. Cool. So are you uh, still pretty active in the business? I am, but I think at this season of my life, I've got the option to focus on what's really important, what moves the needle, if you will, yep. and more strategic, less tactical. I still remain as CEO of the organization. Okay. And we've also have a concierge division would take 
takes care of our the homes we have built, and now we're actually serving other clients of homes we did not build. Oh, cool. Okay. So it's still your main your main focus is still building the business, growing the business. I'm getting from my on that side of things. Yes, mm -hmm. I still I've accepted my next challenge in terms <laughs> of investing what I've learned and lived in other people. And right. frankly, that's why I'm glad for the opportunity to speak with you today, Michael. That's amazing. That's I like I say that's the whole reason I do this podcast. It's just my out of my own selfish <laughs> desire to to learn. So you uh, you said something in you kind of talk about just growing up um, and your dad teaching you discipline, raised you up in the construction industry. Uh, you said, I was working on job sites with dad at age five. So what do you think about those early days formed you? I think there's, I think we all have mentors. Everybody we come in contact to be a mentor. Mm -hmm. And how that works from my perspective is you can learn what to do and then what not to do. Right. So I'm gonna have to tell you, the majority of what I learned from my dad was amazing. But my dad was abandoned in an orphanage at nine years old with all of his siblings. And he had a tough upbringing and working on the farm and he, he knew how to work. So the discipline he taught me was amazing. Mm -hmm. The fact that I had to bounce a quarter off my bed sheets at eight years old was not amazing. Okay. So it's like anything can be taken too far. Right. <laughs> but I think with my dad, um, he taught me so many valuable life lessons. Mm. He taught me to do things even though you're afraid. He told me that my integrity was the only thing that I would own mm. to keep working on that integrity. Mm -hmm. And he truly taught me how to how to work. And what that meant is if I didn't earn the money, I didn't get to buy whatever I wanted. Mm -hmm. He wanted me to have skin in the game at everything. Mm -hmm. And we moved around a lot, but I think what it is, it taught me how to relate to my dad. And I have to tell you this, and my dad knows this, I didn't really like him too much growing up. <laughs> yeah. It was it was more the focus on the discipline than it was on, hey, I love you. It was the old thing. It's like, well, I told you once. And my mother was 180 degrees. She's always encouraging me, telling me she loved me. God knew I needed mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. But for dad, I just, he... He didn't hold anything back on the teaching side, and I really appreciated that with him. He was like, he wouldn't tell me a little. He'd tell me everything mm. about it. He'd want me to learn it, mm -hmm. and I'm thankful for that. Yeah. And now, see, I was the son in that relationship, but now I'm the dad with our oldest son. Right, right. So I've been both roles, and yeah. I learned a lot. I bet that's been such an interesting, in, in the business you run now, um, three generations in, which is pretty, which is pretty incredible. So- I want to get to the part where you went into business with your dad, what that looked like. But I want to um, I want to ask you, faith is obviously a big part of your life. It is the, the worldview that you hold. It's the conviction that you have. And um, you talk about being in, I believe, high school getting saved. Is that right? Yes, sir. Okay. What was that like? Like, did you grow up around faith? Was it a pretty radical salvation? What was that story? I would have to say my mom always had faith. I was baptized as a Catholic, mm -hmm. but we didn't go to church. But my mom always had this hunger for the Lord. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that few know is both my parents were professional musicians. Oh, cool. And in their day, they had some great, great experiences and well-known people they got to sing with and perform with. So my dad was a uh, professional trumpet player as well. I think for me, as part of my history, 
we've moved around a lot. I think you and I talked earlier is I went to 10 different schools and I was a mess. I mean, sometimes I'd be in two different schools in one year and my sixth grade year was probably the most difficult for me on the transition side of things. I had a fear of water because I almost drowned at five years old. And I had these guys in sixth grade. I was a new one and I was tall. I'm six four now, but I was probably, I don't know, I was the tallest guy in the class by a long shot. And the, the bullies in the crowd came after me. And they not only beat me up, they would throw me in the canal. It was a canal system here in Arizona, and I was terrified. That would just not fly today, huh? That would, <laughs> like, oh, my gosh, no. No, not at all. But what's interesting is I didn't know it at the time, but my sixth-grade teacher wrote me this amazing letter. She says, Jerry, I don't know why they're doing this to you. I don't understand. Says, but I always want you to remember that God plus one is a majority. And those words have carried me through every decade, every year, every month, every day of my life. And I truly didn't know what that meant because I wasn't a believer. We weren't going to church. I wasn't in the word. But effectively, my conversion to Christ, I just, we started going to church at that point when we came from upstate New York back to Scottsdale, Arizona for the second time. We were in a little Assembly of God church in Mesa, Arizona. And I had accepted Christ, and I kept going to church, and we got this new youth pastor, and he would stare me down, and they'd make a call for anybody who wanted to accept Christ, and I'm like, I was not ready, and it was going to be my decision. We had this guest speaker come in, and here I am, I'm 14 years old, right? Insecure, I'm messed up Mm -hmm. on every level that you could think of emotionally. Mm -hmm. And he made this case about what it meant to be in heaven for eternity. And he said, it's pretty easy. He goes, do you want to spend your life in heaven or do you want to burn in hell forever? And that was not a hard decision for me. Like, let's see, eternal life with the Lord, burn in hell. It's like, nah. And it was really changed my life. Mm. That youth pastor took me under his weight and mentored me, told me what to read in the Bible and how to apply it more importantly. And it changed my life. Wow. And this was at 14. This is a 14. That's, that's how old I was when I got saved as well and had the exact same situation. Like just, I mean, completely insecure, had just come out of probably still to this day, one of the worst like trauma crises that I ever walked through in my life. And uh, a friend brought me to a Pentecostal youth service and it was exactly the same thing. And that, that youth pastor who I still have a relationship with today, he's a senior pastor down in Orange County, uh, is still the guy that I call, you know? Um, and it's still there to call me out when I need to be called out um, and encouraged when I need to be encouraged. But that's such a that's such a cool experience. And as a kid, there's just this um, I don't know, there's this uh, reality where I guess like all sense of um, logic kind of goes out the window, especially when you're like a hurting kid. And then you're introduced yeah. to this thing that is so much bigger. It's it really is life changing. Well, it is. I think part of it for me living in upstate New York, we went to two two different cities and we lived there a year in each and I started doing things that I wasn't really proud of and things that I knew weren't right. Just forget faith. It just was wrong. Mm-hmm. You don't steal stuff. Mm-hmm. You don't, you know, mm-hmm. you shouldn't be drinking beer that early, mm-hmm. things like right. that. Right. So it's pretty obvious now at the time you're like, Oh, I can do this. Mm-hmm. But I think what it was for me, I looked at that move 
from upstate New York to Scottsdale, my worst season of my life, that it mattered. Now I was going into high school and I wanted to make it count. Mm-hmm. And I went to three different high schools. So wow. this whole moving thing, and got it down. Was that because of your parents' jobs that you were moving so much? Witness protection. Yeah. Okay, great. No, no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, I was about to start asking, you know, I was like, <laughs> no, 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 that's, no, you know, I, when I look at it, it was everything from my mom's health coming to a drier climate or my dad had an unfortunate bankruptcy in California, which took us to Scottsdale, then to New York. Mm-hmm. And wasn't his fault, by the way, mm-hmm. but he had an unethical partner that took wow. all the cash to Europe. Gosh. Wow. So, and this is all happening with you as a young boy. You're kind yeah. of. Now, did you know all this was happening or was it like kind of happening beneath the surface and you didn't really, really know what was going on? I could tell something was going on, but I didn't understand it. Mm -hmm. I just, it was one of those seasons in life where it's like, this is really weird. Why do we move? Like even us going like four moves in two years, that was even a lot for us. Right, right. So you were like aware uh, something was going on. You you mentioned that that, the adversary that you, that adversity that you walked through um, in that area of your life forged you, and you say like it still does. So there was something as a young boy that really formed something in you, uh, just how you're going to handle problems, how you're going to handle situations, how you're going to look at obstacles. How is that like still forging you to this day? Well, I think what it is, it's like I have the advantage of being 63 years old now, so it's really cool to look back. You can see how it all worked together. But like every day now, even if you can imagine yourself driving down a road, your faith, you can only see what the headlights show. So we get a very limited look forward, but now the back, oh, it all makes sense now. And I think part of it too was my, everything's perspective and leadership, in my opinion. Okay. So if we look at it from that perspective, it's like, I used to absolutely beat myself up when I made a mistake. I would like blame myself and I was so caught up in my identity was my success in life and in business. But when I realized it's like, you know what, the mistakes are going to come. And I did a fresh start every day at midnight. Mm-hmm. It's a new day. And I embraced that mm-hmm. in a very big way, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like, you know, yesterday's over. And I used to, I literally, if we didn't get a job that we did, I would like beat myself up for weeks. Mm-hmm. Then it became days. Now something happens. Not twenty minutes. I'm right over it. <laughs> do you? you know? th- yeah. Do you think that there's? I mean, obviously that comes with experience and wisdom and just going through it enough to again be able to look back and and make sense of a lot of it. But was there kind of a moment or was there a time where you realized, wow, this is um, this is becoming a thing for me and I've got to adjust my thinking. And what what did that look like? What did that process look like? Well, I think it, it really it started out with that youth pastor. He didn't ask. He made me read the Gospels over and over and over again. And it was interesting. <clears throat> so many times we look at what can't be done. Through all that, I got this new perspective of what can be done with God's help. Mm. And for me, it was when I said, let the you're going to be salt and light. And when I really researched this, okay, you're like I'm 15, 16 years old now, and I've got this old Ryrie study Bible mm-hmm. with those tiny notes that I can't read today, by the way, because they're so small. Mm-hmm. And it talked about letting your light shine. And what that was in the old um, time when it was written, you would put your candle on a lampstand and put it all the way up to the top of the building 
with the ceiling so your light would shine brighter. Mm -hmm. And that really challenged me in a way to think, no matter what I do, I've got to be the absolute best at it. Mm -hmm. And I was so focused on what I couldn't do. I had no money and I hated being broke. <laughs> and one of my early successes and I don't even know if people know what a Corvair truck is. Mm -hmm. I was one of the four people that bought one okay. and used it. Okay. Um, but I rebuilt the engine at 14 years old, and I hired a man who was re a recovering alcoholic to drive it for me. So at 14 years old, I started a tree trimming landscape business, and I crushed it. And it's like, no, that wasn't that hard. Mm. Instead of looking at what I couldn't do, I couldn't drive. Well, how do you solve that? Mm -hmm. There's always an option out there. So that's interesting. And I want to uh, go a bit deeper there. Was that like, so at 14, when you make this decision and you do this, is that something that was like innate to you? Because I think a lot of times, every time I talk to an entrepreneur, it seems like they were, they were tinkering with stuff when they were young. You know, were you like thinking about business from a really young age? Or was that something that you like just saw or your dad taught you or was that just it's just in you and this is what you were going to do i think one well i don't think it was i didn't have an entrepreneurial seizure mm -hmm. and i still don't mm -hmm. i mean I, some guys are just serial entrepreneurs i'm not that guy but what i did i hated being broke mm -hmm. i just it's like it's just wrong and it's like i had to figure out a way to get out of that situation mm -hmm. and you know i'm selling greeting cards door to door at seven years old mm -hmm. And I had, I was that guy with the lemonade stand and I love to work and that was good, but it wasn't driven out of, I've always been this kind of a guy. It's like, how do I solve the problem? Right. And the problem was no money. Yeah. <laughs> which will, which will get you starting to figure out problems to solve really, really quickly. Right. Um, well, absolutely. That thing is too, though. It's like, you still, even, you know, it was in my twenties, thirties and forties, there were those times of like, I've got no money. I got to work hard. I, I know those feelings right now. I want to buy a, a house in LA. And every time I go on Zillow and start looking at housing prices, I go, okay, I'm getting kind of close, but, um, I got to work harder, you know? So it never goes yeah, away, I guess. Right. Well, what it is, I think in today's economy, especially in the housing industry, they keep moving the goalposts. Mm. As soon as you've saved enough money to make your decision, then the price went up, at least in our market, 28% last year. Wow. Wow. It's all those California people coming. That's exactly right. I know. My my whole family's in Texas. My little brother's in Austin, and um, he moved back from L.A. to Austin and was trying to buy a house. And, yeah, it was just getting priced out by uh, folks moving from California. <laughs> okay, so I want to talk you, – you, you mentioned um, – just this this idea of like I was tired of being broke, um, but you also talk about your first tithe check at the age of eighteen uh, being a one dollar and seventy four cents. Um, you say my first ten years in business, I averaged around nine thousand dollars a year, um, and talk to me about that. I I actually this quote struck me because I think this was like, at least in all I was reading about you, kind of the first, um, well, it was the first mention of money. And uh, you say that in the context of a tithe check, which I think is just absolutely amazing. You were tithing at a young age. Talk to me about that. Was that like a revelation that you had early on? Break that down for me. I don't think it was a revelation. I think God sends people into all of our lives. It's just, are we willing to listen and hear them? Mm -hmm. It's the old adage, the, 
the teacher appears when the student's ready. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I, at 18 years old, I've the landscape business went on for four years. That was not my gifting. I then moved to doing patios or barbecues for all of my parents mm-hmm. or all my friends' parents mm-hmm. at their homes. Mm-hmm. And went from that, but I just felt like there was still more and there was something missing. And somebody talked to me about the value of putting God first in every area of your life. And I figured he talked about tithing. So I wrote the check (laughs) and like any successful entrepreneur that you will ever talk to, they have certain habits they abided by. It is the habits they stay consistent with that bring their success. They compound on each other. They get better and better. I'll tell you, our giving went from 10% to well over a third of our income every year. And as it grew, and there were some, there were seasons in our lives, I believe it was in my 40s, where I had really bad health challenges and we didn't have the money and we needed such a miracle in our lives. We gave our last money away to bless somebody else because we knew what we had couldn't even touch our need. Mm. And literally two days later, we got a contract, two contracts, and I truly believe that God honored it. It was mm-hmm. a test. Mm-hmm. And I think I think what it is, God doesn't want our money. He's got whatever he needs. Mm-hmm. He wants our hearts. Mm. And I feel like when we give our heart to the Lord, that's when things really go well because we're, we're working on his principles. And the principle is give God your best first Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what do you think what do you think the connection between that discipline and that focus on generosity um has with the success that you've had right so not in a sense of like just the basic like god's a vending machine i give i get this like crazy prosperity which listen i think god wants to bless us and i think there are principles in the bible that when we work um you know, all throughout scripture tells us God's going to, God's going to bless that. But, um, maybe talk more just deeply about going from 10% to well over, you said a third of, of your income, uh, doing it when money was really good, doing it when there was a lot of expenses. How do you think that that has continued to not just build your faith in God, but also continue, uh, keeping you focused on your mission, which it sounds like a big part of your mission now is how generous can I be? Yeah. I think, I want to rewind just a little bit on something you said. I thought I was the only one who would use that analogy. I wish God was a vending machine. I'd have a whole bunch of all over the place, but he's not. But when you read in Deuteronomy that it's God who gives us the power to give wealth, Mm -hmm. I think what it is, it wasn't just generosity in the tithe check. It opened up to my eyes what I feel like true generosity is. It's generous with your time, with your words, with a hug, mm-hmm. with the guy on the side of the road who will not these fake will work for food signs. Yeah. But you come across somebody who's in a gas station, like somebody stole my wallet. I need money for gas. You, you fill this gas tank mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You just do the right things. But that generosity kind of takes over in your heart, in all of your motives. And what really did it for me is. My wife and I, there were two major watershed events in our lives. One was I realized that I was asking God to bless what I was doing instead of asking God, what did he want me to do? Mm -hmm. Once we went to God, what do you want me to do? The answer is yes. That's when things were, was a major shift for us. But the other thing that was really impactful to us and how we were able to give more money 
is we didn't set income goals for any of our businesses. We set giving goals mm -hmm. and God brought the work. Wow. And this isn't some formula. I just, I don't think people really understand how God wants to bless them, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but we have to get out of the way. And I had to get out of the way. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of pride. I was angry in my twenties. Mm -hmm. I mean, like really angry. I had a chip on my shoulder the size of California. <laughs> and, you know, I had to be right. I had to be better, but God tempered that. People that knew me 30 years ago don't recognize me today. Wow. And I'm glad for that. Yeah. Because you can still be a believer and be really angry and have a chip on your right. shoulder. Right, right. So I was doing really well at all of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Man, okay, so giving goals. Like, let's get practical about that. So um, you and your wife would sit down every year and say, Personally, this is our goal. Is that a percentage? Is that an amount? Is it a mixture of the two? Um, like, how intentional is that? More purpose driven. Okay. Cause driven. Okay. Um, and as recently as five years ago, we moved into our new new home, and it was one of those obedience things. It's like we're looking at our furniture and all the stuff that you can add on. And I know how to spend money on a house. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so, all this stuff, but we had the perspective of what are we doing with our lives that's going to show up in heaven? Mm -hmm. So do we need to spend X dollars on a couch or do we keep what we have and keep supporting that that orphanage in Haiti? Mm. Or do we give money and help the Dream Center mm -hmm. or and one of many other things? Mm -hmm. So if for us, it's like I spent a lot of years doing giving in secular organizations. But when I realized and had the epiphany that you know, it wasn't an epiphany, again, somebody was sent into my life by the Lord mm. when he said there were two judgments when we get into heaven, showed me the scriptures. Mm. Yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm in. But what did you do with what I've given you? Mm. And that was one of those aha moments. It's like, oh my gosh, I need another filter in my giving. So, for someone that says, oh, Jerry, okay, so because you have how, how, and I want to get to your your business in a second, but how many employees does your business have? Like, give us just a, a brief, you know, so to give people a picture of kind of the success that you've built. Um, it's less about the number of people mm -hmm. that we have. We've got a very small core team of mm -hmm. 22 people. Mm -hmm. But what we have done is we've created leadership and organization and process that allows us to build some of the biggest homes built in the country mm -hmm. here in Arizona. Mm -hmm. We only build in Arizona for clarity. Got it. Okay. But okay. we've done homes that are much larger than the White House. Wow. To give you context. Yeah. And I think what it is, it's like a lot of people want to scale their businesses. I just decided I don't want to do 10 $5 million houses. I'd rather do one $50 million house. It's one client, one architect, one interior designer. Wow. It's, again, what it is, some of these large projects have two to three million labor hours in them. So wow. it's not to coordinate. Right. So our 22 people, it's academic. Mm -hmm. What can we provide in leadership and process to help them succeed? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so for someone that's asking, and I want to get more to that here in just a second, but for someone that's like, Jerry, that is so inspiring that you guys are making these decisions to give. Well, I'm, you know, 26 years old, starting my first business. I got, you know, $5,000 in the bank and I'm living month to month. Um, it's not as easy for someone to 
make those decisions for generosity at that point. But it sounds like what you're saying is that you don't just all of a sudden start being generous once you've been successful and there's excess in the bank that you get to kind of decide how you want to allocate it. It starts with a discipline when maybe it's not a really easy thing to do. Talk to me about that and maybe just the importance of what that has been like in your journey, because I think that's really important for a lot of people. It's easy to say one day win, but I don't think that that just automatically comes out of nowhere. No, it doesn't. It's, you have to make a choice. And I think that's what the big thing is. Mm-hmm. That dollars and 74 cents, it was a lot of money, but I was spending more than that at McDonald's. So it's like, I just had to start. And I think we all have something to give. And frankly, if you don't have money to give right now, if a dollar and 74 cents is too much for you today, give of your time, give of your expertise, give of your talents, give a word of encouragement. Hug somebody who needs a hug. Tell your wife that you love her and what can you do to be with her and help her. Mm-hmm. I think what it is, it's an attitude of the heart that we need to develop. You know, gifts are given, fruit is grown, and God gives us the fruits of the Spirit, but are we fertilizing? Are we watering? Are we using them? And I think in that perspective, we all need to be doing something that comes to mind a story. Uh, I did not go to college for any of your young entrepreneurs that didn't go to college and think that that's a disadvantage. Um, You're encouraging me because I I didn't either. Well, I tried a few times, but I never, I I got bored every time after, you know. Yeah, no, I, but you know what? I'm a continuous learner. (laughs) Exactly. Challenge any one of your listeners to have read more than the thousands of books I have. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. just, and the, frankly, the people I've been brought in contact with. But I think what it is, is I think that we need to focus on what we can do and not what we can't. Mm-hmm. And we can all do something. And the story I was going to tell you is I hire a lot of college graduates in the School of Engineering. And as a dad, both of our sons both got their master's degree. I figured, I'm done. <laughs> You're on your own now. But what it is, he asked me, 28-year-old um, gentleman, having lunch with him, he goes, I'd love to see your business plan. How are you building two of the largest homes ever built in the state at the same time? And I'm I'm very transparent. I don't know if you like the answer, but he said, I hope you don't think less of me, but I didn't have a business plan. I just did my best every day. Mm -hmm. And then I did the next thing and I did it over and over again. And yeah, we struggled for those 20 years, but I'm glad I did because every relationship that I forged Everything that I learned, it was all applicable to what I use on a daily basis. And it's exciting. But what is people are, they're spending so much time thinking literally about retirement, Mm -hmm. especially people in my generation, they're not focusing on what they can do to build that business. Mm -hmm. And there's practical steps you do. You have to pay the price. Mm -hmm. And I would encourage your people, just do something, Mm -hmm. even if it seems inconsistent, but do it every day. Mm Mm-hmm. That's so great. And that's something that we always come back to. It's like, you know, nowadays there's the internet, there's frameworks and 150 different ways to start a business and 17 frameworks on how to, you know, and there's all this stuff and a lot of it's great, but it's so easy to just get so caught up in like thinking a lot about building a business or starting a business or doing something. And um, yeah. our challenge is always like, just do, do one thing, just do one thing and um, start something. You know, and I think that's such. But even doing the one thing, give it your all, mm-hmm. lean into it fully. And I think that's part of what helped. I spent a lot of years being all in. I was very efficient. 
going down the wrong road. Mm -hmm. The difference between efficient and effective is efficiency is doing things right. Effectiveness is doing the right things. And I would encourage your, your listeners and your viewers to make that list of what are you doing that's really making a difference? Because you could be doing a really good job going down the wrong road and not even know it. I've been there. I spent a lot of years doing a really great job going in the wrong direction until I stopped and analyzed what I was supposed to be doing. Mm. How do you even to this day still wake up and go, am I doing what's efficient or am I doing what's effective? I mean, is that something that you come back to even personally every single day? Like how does somebody think through that? Because that's, that's such a true statement. It's really easy to be efficient and realize, man, I haven't even really been very effective. So what does that look like for you practically? Well, I think it's a continual becoming and developing on the inside. Mm -hmm. And I know last night what I was going to be working on today. I actually knew last month. So I think what is, it's a process. And frankly, it's all of those habits that you do every day. And one of the things that I encourage people to do is make a list of everything that you do. And you'll probably have a hundred things. And I'll bet you do too, Michael. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then the first thing is, what do I stop doing? Who can I delegate it to? And you go through this a couple of times and you get down to about a dozen things, take that 12 things and figure out what your three things are and wait for it. Do the one mm -hmm. focus on the one thing mm -hmm. that's the most important. And that's how you're going to start moving the needle because we're so distracted with so much noise. And it's just like you were talking about the internet and the frameworks. It's like, there's not a lack of knowledge and experience out there. There's a lack of application. Because people are so busy focused on the next thing that they're missing the current thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's really good. It's almost like you're saying sometimes um, we get so focused on wanting to move ahead to that thing that looks better um, and feels like it's going to achieve more success or get us where we want to go that we're kind of forgetting, which is very much that what have I done with what I've been given, right? The parable of the talents. What is in my hand? And what can I do with it? It's almost like we want to just toss the thing out of our hand and go find the next thing. And it's almost like what you're saying is like, look, look right in front of you. Um, and what can I do with this? And I think that's uh, such an applicable, such an applicable piece of advice. I grew up very close to the construction industry. My dad was general contractor. My grandfather was general contractor. My great grandfather ran a large construction company. So I know um, how rough and tumble it can be sometimes. I, I, I know the... Um, at least from what I grew up seeing, it's not always the most honest business. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes. You are a man of faith. You're a man of integrity. What's it like building a business with Christian principles at the center of it? How do you navigate that? How do you keep yourself accountable to do things the way that God would, would want you to do them? And what's that process been like? It's been a, uh, it's been a long process and it's changed over time. And yes, um, there's a lot of, uh, I'll say it's not as bad as it used to be in my opinion, mm -hmm. but part of the whole motivation for getting into this business was to bring integrity into a great industry. Mm -hmm. So much of what I, back when I started, especially the general contracting side, the builders were like a bunch of crooks. Mm -hmm. Like, why would you work with them? Mm -hmm. All this behind the the back stuff, unethical practices, mm -hmm. cheating clients. Mm -hmm. And 
So we had to come up with a solution. I always say, I remember my dad's subcontractors always coming by the week before Christmas with envelopes of cash. And I remember as a kid going, wait a minute, what's, what's going on? And it wasn't until like a couple of years ago that he was finally like, this is what was going on. And all that stress that I was experiencing and as grumpy as I was, that's, that, that was, you know, so, so there's a lot of stuff happening for sure. No, I, I think what it is too, Michael, and I think we should all remember this is that Jesus came to give, not to get. Mm-hmm. And I think if that's part of your foundation, your motivation, and whatever you do in your business, your personal life, friendships, relationships, what are you giving to it? Mm-hmm. And I will tell you time after time that we would give of ourselves. We earned the business. We didn't, we've never, ever paid a commission, a kickback, nothing. And Part of what allowed us to do that is something I taught our sons. Know the answer to the question before you get into the situation. My first, I hope you have time for a little I'm, story. I'm good. Yeah, I got, I got plenty of time. Our first project over a million dollars, It was, I think it was a $1.4 million project. I walk into the client's office and he's got 1.2 million in cash. He says, I would like to pay you in advance and look at the money you can save on taxes. And I'm like, hmm. and I'm thinking to myself, how do I respond to this and still keep the job? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if this was a hard and fast, you got to take it. I said, well, sir, I really appreciate your offer, but if I were to take this money, you could never, ever trust me again. And I'm not willing to give that up. And I'll tell you, that was, you talk about those watershed events in your life. And hey, it was really great when I was in the moment with him. I believed everything I was saying. Driving home was like, man, what if I missed an opportunity? I could have saved on taxes. Yeah. What am know? I done? Right. Yeah. What didn't I do? Yeah. I right. shouldn't have yeah. Done? <laughs> uh, but we, he has been a support order for 30 years, done many projects for us, significantly more money. And for me, it's, it's, there's never a wrong time to do the right thing. Mm, That's really good. Yeah. I think what it is, if if we want to go the way of the world when ethics and integrity is compromised, you're going to get the world's reward. If you want to do it the way God intended for us in our lives and our business and our integrity and our ethics, we're going to get God's reward. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's like, it's a, it's an easy decision because mm-hmm. man can only give so much and that's all going to be dust. Right. It's nothing. But if we can invest in God and in the kingdom and other believers and people, that's the great reward from my perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's dig a bit deeper just into um, some of that. So obviously it's important to have integrity when it comes to those kinds of things. Let's talk about like leading an organization. So having employees, making decisions, um, letting your humanity kind of be out there in front of the people that you lead. What is it like carrying your faith into the workplace? And how serious do you take that in terms of just the culture in your organization, what that looks like, all, all of that kind of stuff? How is your faith informed that? That's a great question. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, a, a great pastor friend told me this years ago, said, Jerry, your performance is your platform. So I needed to work as hard as I could, but depend on God for the results. And it's the old Mark Batterson quote, work like it depends on me and pray like it depends on God. Mm-hmm. That's real. Mm-hmm. And it's important. But I think in terms of our my faith, 
I will tell you, I had a lot of bad experiences with believers in business. Mm-hmm. They, the guys are out there witnessing to people, trying mm-hmm. to get others saved, and they did the worst work. Right. And they didn't realize it's like, wait a minute, we're believers. We're supposed to operate with excellence mm-hmm. and our very best. Mm-hmm. It's what we're doing, reflecting God. Mm-hmm. And it was a challenge for me. And I'll tell you, there's about 10 years that if somebody came to me and said they were a believer, I wouldn't hire them would use them as a trade contractor. It's like, I want to know what kind of hand I'm dealt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to know what it is. And I, I've changed my stance. I've matured. I think other believers have developed. But I think what it is for a witness, I think it's in our excellence and how we perform in business. But beyond that, I've always felt that witnesses were asked questions. And I feel like we developed such an organization, a great quality and building a great team, the people would ask us how. And at first, the first book I wrote was called The Team Builder Toolbox. And what it is, is we were winning all these awards, many unsolicited, and people would ask how you did. And I said, I didn't do anything. It's my team. And there's something very fundamental that we as Christians in the business world need to look at things as, is that God put us there for a reason and a purpose. And in our organization, I always put people before profits. And that was hard. But there's not anybody who's ever worked for us that didn't know that we were there for them. We supported them. And probably the biggest time of my life was 2008 when the economy tanked. I was reading a book called The Orange Code, the first online banking book, right? Mm -hmm. And it was like chapter three. And it said, if you're starting a business today, what would it be? I'm like, it wouldn't be construction. <laughs> right. So I gather my whole team, and I think we had maybe 25 or 30 people at the time, in our little conference room. And I told, made that very statement to them, if I were to start a business, it would be construction. You could have heard a pin drop. Companies were dropping like flies and, you know, going out of business. People were really scared. And I said, I want to tell you right now, I believe that, God has a plan for me and our business. And I said, we are not going to participate in this part, in this recession. I took a bold stance. That was scary. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was really scary. It's like, oh man, I know I can mess up, but God, I need to count on you. Mm-hmm. I need you to be there. Mm-hmm. And my wife and I quit taking a salary. Wow. I said, we're going to do this. And it, it was hard. People think, oh, that was easy. Back then, we didn't have all these reserves or 401ks mm-hmm. we could cash in. Mm-hmm. I mean, we were struggling. Wow. And basically, we made that stance. And of course, I'm optimistically thinking it's going to be a few months. Well, it was two years. Wow. It was painful. You didn't take a salary for two years. Yeah. But let me tell you what did happen. We were the first to recover. We had our whole team fully intact. Nobody left. And we were we were way ahead of everybody two years before everybody else's business was recovered. Wow. So by what we did on that time is we invested the time into our company. We were spending a lot of money, but we went through every process, everything we were doing. And I I laid down the gauntlet. I said, there's five steps to change. This step changed nothing, change everything. Why don't you guys work on these three steps? And if you don't come up with it, I'm going to do it for you. And they don't want me doing that. Right. And it changed the face of our organization. And frankly, it wasn't just us. It was the hundreds of trade contractors we kept busy. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had, I was known as the demolition man. There was no work. 
but there was a tax credit. And we saw all of these houses for sale that were old, that were being sold for the price of land, basically. So I'm going door to door talking to realtors. We're salvaging the houses. They get a great tax re, um, deduction and keep on keeping our guys busy. Mm-hmm. That's all we were doing. Mm-hmm. And you go from building the greatest homes on the planet to be in demolition, man. That's a switch. You know, this story makes me think of something I heard T.D. Jake say one time. He was talking to a group of pastors, and he said, the, the, one of the biggest mistakes my generation has made is that we made all of this look really easy, right, So for, for the younger generation. So we see the success on the back end. And so as a young entrepreneur, a young pastor, and a young business person, it's like a very glamorous thing. I'm going to be a, a founder. I'm going to be a CEO. I'm going to be a pastor, whatever it might be. And oftentimes we overlook those kind of decisions where you kind of uh, being the leader means you take the weight of not just yourself and your family, but really the entire organization and the people in the organization on your shoulders. Talk to me about that, because I think that's often such an overlooked truth in the idea of business building. I think one is, too, as a believer in business, we have to remember we have a partner Actually, the owner of our companies, the earth is the Lord, the fullness thereof. I'm just stewarding this business. It's God's business. But we have part, We have a partner that has unlimited resources. <laughs> if somebody were to tell my story about how we built most of the billionaires in the state of Arizona, that I lived in a trailer growing up, that I was bullied, there was nothing that I had on a resume that could have inspired these people, but in Proverbs where God takes the heart of the king like water, I believe God opened those doors and brought those people to us. Every one of our clients is a household name, and everybody listening to this has used more than one of their products, number one in the majority of the industries, and how this high school-educated, insecure, bullied kid uh, with all my messed-up fears and everything got the opportunity. It was all God. And but I think what it is, too, though, is we don't hear a lot about building on failure. We don't hear a lot about paying the price. We all look at the nice cars. And honestly, even for pastors, there's such a celebrity now attached to it. I think it hurts. You know, instead of the, the man who goes into ministry who loves the Lord, wants to help and serve people, all of a sudden he's forced to create a brand, that brand turns into the celebrity. And then, wow, that's when stuff happens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's hard. It's hard for all of us. But there again, it goes to perspective. What is your motivation? I want to do things that impact the kingdom of God. I'm not a car guy. I live in Scottsdale. I don't golf. You don't I mean, golf in Scottsdale. <laughs> no, I, I'm not letting my wife listen to this podcast because I'm... <laughs> We just looked. We just relooked at the golf budget, and uh, uh, let's just say I'm not good enough to be spending as much money as I'm spending on golf these days. So, <laughs> all I can tell you is I don't know a really great entrepreneur who's any good at golf. So, do you want to spend your time getting your golf game, or do you want to build your business? Or what business is? Yeah, from my perspective, Dang, anybody, I wanted to be. I wanted to be encouraged today, not rebuked. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, I love it. <laughs> anybody who's good at golf is on TV. Okay. Yep. <laughs> uh, By the way, so I good. tried to learn golf. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. My wife took me out on my birthday the year after taking like 10 lessons. She let me win. I knew there was no hope because she'd never played before. So I definitely, like, I'm not wasting any more time on this. Yep. One. That's, oh, that is so great. Um, 
this part's getting, this like part's getting deleted from the podcast. Okay. Okay. Uh, do you have a few more minutes? Cause I want to jump into, okay. Okay. I'm here for you today. That's oh, great. Amazing. I want to ask a question first about, um, the businessman, the entrepreneur and, uh, their role or relationship to the local church. So a lot of what we talk about on this podcast is how do, um, business people, business owners, startup founders, whose lives are busy, who have a lot going on. Oftentimes we find that those people serve, basically they're asked to serve in their giving, right? <laughs> um, and maybe they don't have time to serve on different volunteer teams or life looks different for them. So how do you think somebody who is building a business on Christian principles, what does their relationship look like with the local church? How do they serve their pastor? How does they, how do they serve their church um, in the gifting that they have? I think it's, uh, you can envision this glass wall uh, between the pastor and the business guy. And it, it's real. It's real. The pastor's afraid to let the business guy in because he'll want to change everything's going on. And the business guy's a little cautious because, like, he doesn't want to change his life too much. But I think what it is, and I've served on some boards for large organizations, and I think what it is, we have to remember that the pastor's a human being and the business guy's a human being. And we as a species relate on a personal level, heart to heart, if you will. And I think from that perspective, where what I see is, I think everything should go through the local church, just so I'm clear. The business guy, in fact, I don't know the exact statistics, but more money is given outside the church than inside the church. And I think what it is, is the church is afraid to have a relationship with the business person. I get tons of calls to come to things just because they want me to write a check. I go to the things where I have a relationship with the pastor mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or the head of the organization. Mm -hmm. And I think we're missing a step. And we saw this a lot in COVID where the business guys, some of them were struggling and some of them were crushing it, right? Depending on what industry they're in. But I think that and this is something Pastor Tommy Barnett taught me. Legend. That Absolute legend, by the way. Oh, he is. He's He's made such an important and positive impact on my life. He's a dear friend, and he, he just is. He's he's the real deal. Mm -hmm. And and I hope to have just a fraction of the impact that he's had mm -hmm. uh, with my life. But what it is, the business people need help during this time. We need help every day, by the way. We need to know that there's somebody praying for us and I think maybe the pastors and leadership needs to take a step back. You know, how can I get the business people to give, but how can I help them? Mm. Can I pray for their business? Can I pray for their kids? Um, do you have any struggles in your life that you think I can help with? I think any guy who or woman who's had a modicum of success kind of knows that you guys have projects going on. Right. There's no you mystery. Know, That's not a mystery. With, yeah. Yeah. Don't lead with that. Yeah. Um, but if you can, like Jesus came to give and not to get, I think it's important that we remember that with people in the church and a mutual friend of ours, I believe, Lee Domain, Church of the Highlands Legacy Pastor, that's his whole ministry, bringing the believer and the business guys both the same together because the pastor can have all the vision in the world, but if 
if they don't have the money, they can't fund it. It's the business people that set the pace of what you want to do as a pastor. And we need each other because for me, and it was because of Pastor Tommy Barnett, the most fulfilling things I ever did were from a financial standpoint was the kitchen we put in at the Phoenix Extreme Center and the rooms for human trafficking. And, and what's beautiful about that is every day something good's happening down there. Mm-hmm. Even if I didn't make money on a Tuesday, somebody's getting fed, somebody's off the streets. Mm. And I think that's what business people need to know is, hey, I could make a difference, not just for today, but for eternity. Mm. I think that's the message we need to communicate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's so true oftentimes. Um, in in ministry, uh, it's easy to inadvertently, you know, use the business person, right? Use the business person for their finances, for their expertise, for their advice, um, without just going like, how can I serve you? And I think that's such a really good point is just remembering that, like you said, we're all human. <laughs> we all have struggles. And sometimes what that business person needs is just a text that says, hey, I'm praying for you. Here's a scripture. Um, yeah. Stuff like that goes a long, a long way. No, you'd be amazed. And I challenged a group of pastors about this during the pandemic is how many of you called your givers and thanked them, checked on them. A lot of pastors were so caught up in their struggles that they lost the focus of being grateful for what God had done in the past because there was, for all of us, you know, we were fortunately an essential business in Arizona. We got to keep working, but it wasn't that way for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's really, that's really good. Talk to me about um, Glorious Reflections. So uh, you have a community called Glorious Reflections, an online community that helps overwhelmed Christian business leaders rediscover their eternal purpose and find unending, unending joy in their life and leadership. Talk to me about that. Where did that come from? I think this was part of something that happened back in 2015 that I knew God wanted me to do something different, and I didn't know what. But I know it was a time of simplification, a time of preparation, and we did what we felt we were supposed to do at that time. And in looking across, in fact, reflecting on my own life, I realized what I didn't have available to me. I didn't have that person I could go to or that encouragement that I needed. And from that perspective, I feel like so many people I come in contact are chasing this mirage of the bigger house, the faster car. Uh, the new wife or whatever. I mean, it's it's out there. It's real. And I think what it is, it's who do you want to who do you want to resemble with your life? Because that chasing it is a mirage. I've known so many people that made the money and the things, the goal that they lost themselves in it, and they need to become bigger on the inside than the outside. And for my purposes, and this whole thing is. Glorious Reflections is about our integrity reflecting God, our generosity reflecting his generosity to us. There's so many aspects of this. In fact, we did create a 21-day challenge, and it's free, and I would encourage anyone, is it okay to give the information? 100%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Please just text CHALLENGE to 55444. That's CHALLENGE to 55444, and... For 21 business days, I don't like to interrupt people on the weekend <laughs> um, because we're not golfing, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> not me. Not anymore. Never, never again. Um, not me. <laughs> no, I would really encourage people to go through this because it's really, it helped me. And it's some of the things I talked about earlier about your priorities and what do you do or even in business, 
what are you going to stop doing? What's so easy that we take things on. But I think we all need that foundation of, you know, what, what do we want to reflect? And for me, I want to reflect the Lord's love, his integrity, his kindness, his generosity, his compassion. And I think when I'm focusing on that, that is a principle that will last forever. Whereas if we're going to the left or the right because of interim pressures politically, financially, physically, whatever you're going through in your life, there's a way to trust the Lord to get you through all of that. Mm-hmm. Man, that's that's so great. And we'll link to um, that in the show notes as well. Is there a website for that that we can link to as well? Yeah, you can log on to jerryrmeek.com. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. In, in fact, if you want to, I mentioned the Team Builder Toolbox. That's a free book that you can download. Cool, on that same, on your well. site as well. Yeah, jerryrmeek.com. Cool. We will definitely link to that. Okay, couple couple quick questions, and then I will let you let you go get on about your, your day. So, okay, first of all, part of what we talk about a lot on this podcast is being a leader, being a founder, being a business builder, in the midst of so much happening in the world. So right now as a business person, we've got the markets are really volatile at the moment. We've got interest rates. I think I saw today inflation again is, you know, at a, at a high. When you've got COVID, you've got political, like it's just, it's crazy out there. How do you, or do you at all as a business builder, think about that kind of stuff? How does that affect the way that you lead? How does that affect the decisions that you make? Or for the most part, is building in a climate like this just noise that you have to cancel out? I think for me, there was about five years when I didn't listen to any radio, any didn't read a newspaper or the news. I personally, I think we're only being told what we're being told. Mm-hmm. And I'll leave that yep. in your own personal beliefs. Yeah, um, absolutely. I, I'm not a conspiracy guy whatsoever, but I'm aware of what's going on. But I believe on our Lord Jesus Christ, who's given us a path on what to do right every day. And at the end, that's what's going to matter. And yeah, we've got supply chain issues. I wish we had more people. We're turning down more work than I'd really like to. Mm. But hey, we're blessed and we're going to get through this. Mm-hmm. And I just, I refuse to participate in any nonsense. And nonsense is stuff that doesn't align with the Lord's purposes and his word. Okay. Um, lastly, what is one thing that any young entrepreneur, uh, young business owner, someone who wants to start a business, what is one book that you think they should read? You mentioned you've read thousands. Give us like one thing we should all read in the next month that can help uh, form the right perspective in our minds. It could be faith-based, not faith-based, w- w- whatever you want it to be. So I'm going to struggle with this answer being transparent. I've read Darren Hardy, every John Maxwell book, John's a friend. And I go, I try and meet the authors, but I have to tell you, if I was to tell you to read one thing, I would get the message Bible and read one proverb a day. It will talk to you about how to be a man who's diligent in his work will stand before kings and not mean men. It shows the value. The horse is prepared for battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. We need to encourage ourselves in the principles, and the thing that was really revelatory to me about the Proverbs, that was God's law long before Jesus came into the scene. So if you're Jewish, if you're whatever your religion is, that's the God of the universe principles. So I can give you all kinds of book names, but, you know, right now I would say get in the habit of reading one proverb a day. And frankly, read Proverb 3 every day Mm. because that Mm -hmm. talks about trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
And that trust means and defined. And by the way, I love to do the word search and find out what it really means. I can do that all day long. Mm -hmm. That trust means to lay fully in a bed. And I think sometimes we trust the Lord. We're not quite in that bed. We're like, maybe our, we're sitting on it, but our head's not in it. Our arms aren't in it. But when we trust fully in the Lord, that means after we've gotten all the wisdom that it talks about in chapter two, we take what we know, then we trust God to give us a solution. So probably not one of the best sellers you were thinking about. I, but I go Proverbs for hey, today. Best seller of all time, right? The Bible. Jerry, honestly, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this has been so helpful, so insightful. We'd definitely love to have you back on again as well. So 